Welcome to Bow Talks, a podcast by Banking on Women, which is a student society at the University of Melbourne. We are dedicated to empowering, educating and encouraging our members in the financial and professional services industries. Bow would like to respectfully acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulon Nations, who are the traditional custodians of this land, on which we will be recording this podcast on. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Bro Talks. Today we are joined by Christina Tonkin. She is the Managing Director of Corporate Finance for Institutional Banking at ANZ. We're very excited to have you here today. To start off, we like to ask who you are and what your passions are. Hi. Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. You know, it's a really excellent initiative you had, so I'm delighted to be joining. So by way of background, my name's Christina Tonkin. Uh, You know, I'm the Managing Director of the Corporate Finance Business at ANZ, which effectively covers corporate finance-style activities from advisory through different complex lending activities through our underwriting capability for large institutional customers. I was born in Sydney and live in Sydney. I'm married. Uh, I have two children, though they're not really children anymore, 22 and 19, and I have two dogs. And I I didn't really plan to be a banker, but here I am running a reasonably large team of about 350 professionals across 16 locations for ANZ globally. Yeah, it does sound like you weren't initially planning to go into finance. You studied geology and geophysics at the University of Sydney. So how did you end up in the world of finance? Yes, that's correct. I I think if someone had sort of said to me when I was going through school or indeed university that I'd end up in finance, I would have probably laughed at them. I think, you know, at school, probably like a lot of um, people, I probably really didn't know what I wanted to do. My favourite subjects were kind of mathematics, sciences, and indeed history. My father actually, though, was a structural engineer. So I spent quite a lot of time with him in his kind of business. So I actually started off when I went to university in engineering with a plan to do a sort of double degree in science and engineering. Then, of course, when I started in my science area in geology and geophysics, I then was enjoying that so much and finding it so interesting that I ended up staying in that and doing my honours thesis in geophysics. Then when I finished university, I ended up working at the CSIRO as a bit of a continuation of my honours thesis. I really was probably attracted into banking by chance. I was looking for a little bit of a change and I saw an ad in my father's newspaper for an internship or a graduate program actually at Westpac Banking Corporation. And I went in as a graduate and ended up in the area called Project and Advisory Services, which really did a lot of the financing, the large resources and infrastructure projects, which was kind of akin to what I'd been studying at university. And so I ended up really just staying. And because the depth and the breadth and the different types of customer transactions that you were working in was just so compelling. It's a a very interesting and dynamic part of the finance sector. 
Well, work in finance must be very interesting to keep you in it so long. So what does day-to-day work in corporate finance encompass for you? Yeah, well, as I sort of said, it is a very broad-reaching area. It does cover that sort of complex end of the finance sector, from greenfield projects being built in the infrastructure and resources sector to M&A takeover to large corporate underwritings of transactions. So the thing that keeps you interested is definitely that depth and breadth. As I said before, I have a reasonably large team spread across 16 locations, down about 10 business lines. So I have a fairly structured existence in a way between different meetings that are scheduled with my direct reports that lead particular aspects of the business and also a number of sort of more compliance-related, what I would call well-managed meetings in terms of managing risk on what effectively is the lending book. So the day will sort of begin normally with having a look at the overnight press to see what's happened overnight and what is happening in the global economy. Then specifically anything that's happening in, you know, the Australian market around specific customers that we have relationships with. Then I'll normally go into different series of meetings with, you know, my team members to cover aspects of the business in terms of what is currently happening. And it's that kind of blend really between new customer business and management of risk associated with the lending book and then management of the team, if you kind of think of it that way. And then, of course, you know, management of the actual P&L and financials of the business. So you're always probably really coming from that angle of customer, customer transactions, what is happening within the business and the team. It's quite a talent-driven business. And then indeed risk on the actual book for the exposures that we have out the door and reporting around that. Definitely seems like there's a lot of aspects to your work. Out of all of these, what do you find most rewarding? You know, I really grew up um, in finance running specific customer transactions, so working on large transactions, whether it was energy and resources type transactions or indeed kind of M&A takeover transactions. As time has gone on, probably the most satisfying and rewarding part of the career is actually working with people in my team. And it really has been around the career development of individuals within the business. So if you come back to the sort of key ingredients that make a successful business, I would always put talent and the people in the team as the sort of key criteria that drives the business forward and makes a kind of difference. So whilst, you know, I miss a little the adrenaline rush that you probably used to get when you were working on a specific large customer transaction that had a tight deadline and was quite exciting and it might be a new project or an acquisition, I get more personal satisfaction out of working with the team to develop people's individual careers while still achieving goals for customers and for the shareholders of ANZ. Yeah, so we, we're going to hop on to some challenges. So what are some challenges you've faced recently and how did you overcome them? I mean, look, I think the key challenge is trying to get the right kind of balance. 
obviously, you know, the we live in a complicated world. And so what is happening either domestically or internationally will impact what is happening in the business and is happening with different customers. Um, so you've kind of got to be very aware of, you know, the macroeconomic environment that you're operating in and the competitive environment that you're operating in in the Australian market and the kind of customer proposition that we have to clients. Then it sort of comes back quite often to matching the aspirations and requirements of the business to indeed the talent coming through. So obviously the the hardest thing always to manage is to just get that kind of balanced end-to-end operation working effectively And to, I think, sometimes what does it take to have a happy, healthy team and a competitive team that is then meeting the needs of the customers and the shareholders? So it is sort of the ultimate jigsaw puzzle in a big way. So I think the hardest challenges you quite often face as a business leader is sometimes when, you know, I've had to make hard decisions around particular business lines, which may not be profitable so much to the shareholder or, you know, we don't really have a competitive position. And that's a challenge when it's kind of impacting probably on the team that you have Um, and you're sort of changing the nature of the business and you may not be going to be playing in that particular part of the market or with that particular set of customers. I think they're probably the largest challenges just to get that sort of end-to-end balance operating and to deal with some of the personnel issues that come through. Mm. And sticking with the topic of challenges, would you believe to have been the biggest obstacle in your career thus far? Well, to be honest, I I don't think I've really had a lot of obstacles in many respects. The thing I would sort of say is that sometimes you end up working with difficult people, you know, whether that's internally or whether that's with your customers. So sometimes there's definitely been people challenges. I think sometimes I will be a little impatient. You know, you kind of want to get somewhere faster than what the system kind of wants to move to. I think really the main challenge in life is really being understanding myself and indeed what drives and provides personal satisfaction in your career. I think quite often when I was back at school or back at university, I think people um, are quite self-motivated and quite competitive. And then you, when you get into a work environment, you have to learn to sort of chart your own path and work out what makes you happy. So quite over the time it's been to get where I've got to today, it's probably been a longer journey to hone those skills than maybe in other parts of the finance sector where you might have had faster acceleration. But in honest, I really haven't had a lot of obstacles. It's really been more work out what you're good at, continue working on that, work out the areas that you're not so strong at, look at how you improve your skills in that. The biggest sort of change in role was that role from more transacting customer deals to leading teams of people. That's probably the biggest step change in in a way because you're coming from that angle where you've largely been 
controlling largely parts of, or large parts of the aspects of particular transactions. And then you're leading teams of people and everybody has their own unique style. So I think if you're a sort of bit of a type A controlling kind of person, you know, initially when you become a leader, you might want to try and say, well, the way that you were doing things or transacting is kind of the best way to do it. When in reality, I think you have to be able to adapt and blend to everybody's different styles. That was probably the hardest challenge going from transacting to leading people. But after a little while of doing that, as I've said earlier, I probably found the career side and career development of people and flexing my style to meet their style rather than requiring everybody to be a sort of do it like Christina likes to do things and have different types of people. I've actually found that pretty rewarding. It's sort of once you let it go and adapt and work with other people's styles, I think you end up with a better outcome yeah because uni is so structured and learning is so structured when you enter the workforce it's quite easy to get lost I could imagine so your work of women in banking finance it seems like a fantastic movement uh, could you tell us a little more about the organization and how you work alongside them yes so I'm a, a director in fact the vice president of women in banking and finance women in banking and finance is a not-for-profit it's really an industry group um, it was established over 20 years ago probably really by a coalition of the willing of women who were very interested in giving back to the next generation coming through and a, a lot of it was really around having a career partner for women in the banking and finance sector to encourage more women to join the banking and finance sector and to be a sort of career partner, to offer networking opportunities, to offer development opportunities and training and to offer like kind of signature events. I think there was always quite an acknowledgement that women's careers can be different to a male career, particularly uh, for those women that choose to have families and quite often will take a high proportion of the caregiving within their family. And so to have a sort of networking organisation that also had events plus training was to help women develop from graduate level all the way through to my level. You know, what are the skills not so much necessarily the technical skills for the day job, but the presentation skills, the leadership skills, and indeed the networking skills. Because banking in still in many parts of it is quite a face-to-face connectivity-driven operation where you're working with either other stakeholders internally, other industry players in the market, or indeed customers. So having that broader network and understanding what is going on, I think is very important for women. I also do think that whether you're somebody that stays within the organisation that you're in or whether you move around from organisation to organisation, it's sort of like that continuing HR or talent and culture partner for you as you go through your journey. And bearing in mind that You know, there is a lot of organisations playing in the banking and finance space in Australia. Some of them are quite large organisations, like the one that I work for at ANZ. Other are quite small boutiques. 
So they don't necessarily have all of those learning opportunities for their staff or networking opportunities for their staff within that organisation. So it does provide that for women from smaller organisation at all different levels. Yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of benefits to having a community of talented women, um, and especially who all work in the banking and finance industry. And it sounds very empowering. So during your time with women in banking and finance, have you found any similarities in the way your female colleagues lead others? And does it like differ from your male counterparts? You know, I think that one of the things I would have sort of said about great leadership is that I think great leadership doesn't really matter, obviously, whether that you're male or female. And I think you obviously have loads of great leaders who are both men and women. I do think one of the things that women do bring is I do think they do bring a more holistic and balanced approach to leadership. And that's probably what I've seen over the years. I think that in the world that we're living in, the modern world that we live in today in 2022, and the complex nature of trying to get a more inclusive and diverse and balanced workforce, I mean, it's not that long ago that we didn't really have access to facilities like this on a a mass scale to do, you know, video conferencing and for people in the banking and finance sector to work slightly more flexibly. I do think that women have a unique skill in being able to multitask and being able to get a balanced outcome across the sort of drivers of risk-taking, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction. I think organisations like Women in Banking and Finance allow women leaders to hear from other women leaders. And indeed, other we obviously have quite a lot of male leaders come along and speak. So it's a great forum to develop your leadership skills and understand what's happening in the broader market and to pick up different ideas for you to take back to use in your own organisation. So I think that as a leader, you need to always be learning and always be trying new things with your team, engaging with them, almost like reverse mentorship in a way. If you think of my role today, it's almost a pivot role between people that are customer facing and true senior management of the bank. So it's almost like the crossover point. So you have to be learning from above as well as learning from below and taking ideas backwards and forwards. I'm quite a big believer. I like to catch up with some of the newer entrants into the business. So you almost get that reverse mentorship because whilst it's hard to believe that here we are in 2022 and I started my banking career in 1987, you know, I'm well aware of the fact that times have changed, requirements have changed, people's aspirations change, although they stay, I think, in a common goal, you want to always keep kind of fresh and contemporary with the modern thinking of, you know, people such as yourself that are still at university or coming out of university into the workforce to get what are the new ideas? Well, Christina, I'm sure you have led and mentored many people to success. And with organisations like Women in Banking and Finance, it does seem like high-profile professional careers are becoming much more attainable and sustainable for women. What have you experienced firsthand as a result of this change? Definitely, as I said at the beginning, you know, I have two children who are both at university. Um, 
I think, you know, my husband and I made the decision at the time that I would continue with my career and my husband actually stopped working and that was really back in about sort of 2000. And in some respects, it was pretty tricky, I think, to balance both the requirements of bringing up the family as well as a career that required a lot of travel, not just domestically, but um, international travel. I know there was probably a period there where every month I'd only be one week in the Sydney office. So it's quite difficult to try and make that work. I do think with particularly a lot of the technology that we have today, and I think also a more societally accepted practice of remote working or hybrid working rather than people necessarily having to be in the office from, you know, early in the morning to late at night. It is hopefully going to be a lot more attainable and achievable for families to have a balanced outcome. So you can run dual careers, you know, quite high profile and demanding jobs that it's going to be a lot more socially accepted and I think a lot more technically achievable. I think one of the things, whilst I'm a a huge fan of face-to-face, and I think, you know, where we are in 2022, you know, encouraging people to come back into the office to actually get those sort of face-to-face dialogue happening. I do think that through all the technology over the last couple of years, we've probably had a greater insight into people's personal lives and you know, their family choices. We've seen a lot of their pets on Zoom calls. Uh, You've probably seen a window into people's lives that you hadn't seen before. So I actually think it has probably made the workforce a little bit more social than necessarily what it was historically. So it is a little bit of like, how can you take some of the best of that into the world as we move forward to drive that better diversity and inclusion at all levels of the organisation. I love that. And it does sound like there's a lot to juggle. So where do you personally draw the line between your career, personal life and your passions? Well, I think, you know, I used to do a, have a lot of hobbies, but really not many survived all the way through uh, a couple of children and, and work. We are quite keen skiers, so I do like to go and go skiing and I do quite like bushwalking, so I do do a a fair bit of that. I would say that one of the things that I'm not particularly keen on is social media. You, You won't find me on LinkedIn. I'm not a big active player on lots of social media. I think so partly that is probably not enough hours in the day. Part of it is probably I'm not so keen at sharing everything so I you know when it comes to all of the different social platforms like whatsapp and slack and etc I probably not as active as really my um, communications and marketing team would like me to be and part of that is not enough hours in the day part of that is just trying to keep some of that private yeah Zoom is enough. <laughs> they can have a sneak peek. <laughs> Zoom is enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm quite an open book. I don't mind being asked lots of questions and things, but I'm probably not at that generation where I'm just going to post it on Twitter. Yeah, definitely. We want to offer some advice to our students. So if you could go back and give your university self one piece of advice, what would that be? Oh, 
Well, firstly, enjoy the journey. You know, sometimes I think that I, at points in time, I was a little impatient um, because I wanted to get things done or I wanted to get ahead. And certainly when I started in finance as a graduate, quite often, you know, some of my other colleagues might have been advancing in their particular discipline at a faster rate than me. And, and that used to probably annoy me a little bit. So I would tell myself to relax about that, to enjoy the journey, because unless you're born with a very large trust fund, you're working for a long period of time generally, or if you're super successful, you know, maybe you, you do something else. So I think enjoying yourself along the way is important. And also, you know, continuing that learning experience. I'd also say it's only your own race, you know, like, it, it's really only you that tends to be the harshest judge of your own achievements. So in some respects, it is about sort of understanding what makes you happy, what drives you and aspires you and keeps you energised. That is the most important thing. Personally, I've never been one of these people that just does things to tick a box. You know, I, I generally am quite driven by the underlying passion that I have for particular parts of the business. But I would definitely say to everyone, enjoy it. I'd also sort of say that don't be afraid to take lateral moves or different moves. As we started the discussion, you know, I didn't plan to be a banker. I don't feel not studying some of those subjects at university held me back. And a lot of on-the-job training and indeed other kind of programs filled in those gaps. So I would sort of say always be open to those options and follow what's interests you. Don't feel locked into a, a set program. Yeah, because I know our listeners, they're all very motivated and driven. So I'm sure they can relate to that. So listen to Christina's advice. Enjoy the journey and go take some risks. <laughs> yeah, so finally, have you been reading, listening, watching anything recently that you could recommend to our listeners? Probably not so much a, an individual book. I am planning, we are planning a trip to Egypt for next year because it's it's somewhere I've always wanted to go and I haven't been to. So at the moment I'm really studying up on all things Egyptian, whether that's on Netflix or whether it's on YouTube um, or the History Channel, is just trying to really brush up on Egyptian history, you know, that whole society and how it operated at that time, both from the religion through to the arts. Very, very exciting. I would argue the best part to a trip is the build-up. All the planning. Yeah, all the planning is the best part. I think we'll wrap up here. So thank you so much again, Christina, for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week for another episode of Botox. Bye. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bow Talks. Please do follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Banking on Women. Thank you, everyone. Bye.